could fall. Let's see. All right. Good morning, y'all. Why don't we pray together before we jump into Ecclesiastes. Our Father, we just thank you uh, for this morning, uh, for gathering your people together on this beautiful day that you've created. God, I pray that uh, this morning you would uh, remind us of Jesus, that you would proclaim Jesus to us in everything that we do, from the preaching of your word, the singing of the songs, the taking of communion in our prayers, in our serving one another, in the redemption kids, in everything we do, glorify Jesus and make him known to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving to not only make him known, but to transform us into his likeness, uh, to continue to shape each one of us this morning. So I pray that you would say what you want to to each one of us today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, after walking through the the second uh, chapter of Ecclesiastes, we considered our own lives and, and what we were actually made for. That while God created us for eternity, we were created by God to live in the present, like to live day by day, every day, forever. We weren't made for the past. We weren't made for the future. We were made to live in the present. Yet, as we said last week, we tend to spend like so many of our hours captive to the past or captive to the future, often questioning the goodness and the presence of our God. And so, as we wrapped up last week, I just asked you to be considering what it is that keeps you from being content uh, today, from being fully present with God today, and to maybe practice confessing your restlessness in the present uh, moment in prayer, asking the Lord to lead you into peace and into contentment that you were created for. That's where we left off. And as we pick up today in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher just keeps pressing in on this uh, just to help us get a better grasp of it. The, the truth is we were made to live in the present, but it's honestly pretty hard for us to do. How do we get there? Now, some of you are going to recognize this first part of Ecclesiastes 3 straight away. It's a pretty well-known poem from Scripture. It's a popular song as well by the birds. But we're going to go ahead and read through this. It's Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. And if you're singing along to it in your head, that's fine as well. But you can follow with me on the screen. You can follow with me in your Bibles. It says this. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, 
He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. This is like a a really sweeping look at life, isn't it? It takes a whole lot of our experience into account, maybe all of our experience into account. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die, to weep, to laugh, to dance, to mourn, to keep silent, to speak. In just living our lives, we know that this poem rings true. There's a time for all of these different things in life. There is, I think, something really beautiful about reading it so matter-of-factly. It's kind of a confession It hits us with a truth that maybe uh, we're prone to dodge, and that is this, that life is not always laughing and dancing. It's not always new babies and embracing. Some days hold those things, but other days hold death and mourning and weeping and war. Some days are harder than others. Verse 11 here in chapter 3 states that God has made everything beautiful in its time. But if we just go back over this list, like we might disagree that some of these things could be considered beautiful. Actually, some of these experiences are actually uh, some of the things that make us question God's goodness and his presence, aren't they? Like a time to kill? What does that have to do with God and his character? A time to, to hate? How could a loving God allow war? What about the pain of mourning, the broken things that need healing? Like if God was actually present, if God was actually with us and who he claims to be, how could there be a time for any of this? Could even these things really be beautiful? Or perhaps our questions of God's presence and goodness are are sparked by something seemingly smaller even than questions of war and of killing. Maybe it's wondering why you had to endure a particular season in your own past. Or maybe it's just missing like a really sweet time, time of worship and spiritual growth uh, that maybe you experienced in the past that now you you don't seem to experience as much. And maybe it just because you're you're working or maybe because of your parenting, whatever it is that keeps you dog tired, and maybe just the time and space that you have now looks different than you once had before. These are some of our thoughts and feelings that keep us looking in the past. Either wondering how how could God ever let that happen, whatever that is for you, or we might be looking back, wishing God would do something exciting in our lives now, like he has done in another season in the past. These are the thoughts and feelings that have us looking for escape from today when today is hard, or striving for a future that avoids any more hard days and hard things. I think these are the thoughts and the feelings that the preacher is stirring up in us in order to teach us the way of living in contentment each day. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, the preacher says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And in the poem above in chapter 3, there's some clues that let us in on a very important perspective that we must see from in order to live in contentment, in order to find our joy in the present day, eating and drinking and doing our work that has been given to us for the day with joy. And the clues start in verse 1. We read this, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, under heaven. When the phrase under the sun is used repeatedly in this book, up to like 30 times, to represent what we can observe in the terrestrial world, the switch now to under heaven is significant. It signals that we might be looking now from above the sun, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The poem's going to look at things from a different vantage point, from above the sun. And this vantage point uh, is bigger than what we can see from where we sit. And then there's another clue if we pay attention, is that the seasons in the poem are not really about us individually when you really look at them. Though we experience much of those things individually, it speaks of things that are bigger than any one individual, things like war and peace and birth and death. I don't think we have time to dissect all that, nor do we really have to. What the preacher wants us to see is that We don't have the perspective from where we sit in the present and under the sun, even with eternity set in our hearts, to see God's story from beginning to end. It's bigger than us. We can't transcend time and space to see it. Still, even though we can't see it, the way to contentment, the way to joy in this life, the way to living in the present as we are created to live is to trust that God makes everything beautiful in its time. We need that peace. It's the only way we can give up control over the past and over the future and live in the present, believing that whatever we're a part of today will be made beautiful in the grand story. You know, I haven't uh, lifted my kids up on my shoulders in quite a while now. They're getting bigger and my back hurts, Uh, but I kind of miss it. But when they were a little smaller, I'd put them up there all the time, and often it was because they were tired from walking Other times it was because they were stuck behind some people and they wanted to see over them to see the thing. Maybe they wanted to see the parade or they wanted to see the lion at the zoo. And experiencing that as a father made me realize that our Heavenly Father does the same thing for us, His kids. When we're tired, when we can't quite see, when we don't have the perspective, He lifts lifts us up and puts us on His shoulders to give us rest and to give us new perspective. We can't quite see what God has done from beginning to end. But we can see as he sets us us up on his shoulders to give us a peek, we can see and find some rest in him. First, I want us to see this. I think we should consider how God demonstrated that he indeed was making everything beautiful in its time from the Old Testament scriptures. Like perhaps the writer of Ecclesiastes would only have had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, maybe some of Israel's own history. So what would he have to go on? How is he so sure that God makes everything beautiful in its time? We could just consider Abraham. God made a promise 
that Abraham and Sarah would have a child, that he would give them this promised land where he would provide for them in every way, a land flowing with milk and honey. He promised that uh, from from Isaac, Abraham's son, uh, the nations would be born, that kings would be in their line, and that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes is either Solomon or it's a character of Solomon. And Solomon was the son of King David, born from the line, the line of Judah, who was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was that promised child to Abraham and Sarah. Solomon, Solomon himself is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham who came so many years before. But in fulfilling that promise, generations came and generations went over and over again. And when the family was still relatively small, Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, ended up in Egypt where God used him to provide for his whole family during a famine. And then generations came and they went while the family grew into a people in Egypt. And in there, there they were captive. They endured slavery for over 400 years. And then God delivered them. You know that story. He led them with Moses across the parted Red Sea and into the wilderness to Sinai. They entered a covenant with God there, but then they disobeyed God there also. And they wandered and they died for 40 years in the wilderness. And with a new generation arose, Joshua led God's people into the promised land. He gave them cities that they did not build. He gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm not going to keep going on and on with the story, but my point is this. What God promised generation upon generations before Solomon, Solomon is the beneficiary of it. He was King David's son. He was king in the land that God had promised to give his people. And his dad, David, was promised by God that there was still more to come, right? There would be an eternal king on the throne from his line forever and ever. Now, not every step of that very long journey from Abraham to Solomon really felt good at the time. There was a lot of death. There was a lot of dying. There was slavery. There was a lot to endure. There was a lot of toil. There was sadness. There was a lot there that really didn't feel beautiful. But what God said he was doing, he was doing. And every bit of that story, if we look on it now from our point of view, it's quite beautiful. God was working all things together for their good and to tell his story. So thus far, the preacher in Ecclesiastes could see that God was accomplishing everything he always said that he would and that still he was promising more. The preacher could not see what the the future held exactly, but he knew that God said uh, that, that, that God said he was doing something good. And it may span more generations to come. It may not be pain-free at every moment, but God had proven faithful. And if he said he was going to crush the head of the serpent, and if he said he was going to bless the nations, then that would be enough to embrace today. To eat and drink and enjoy what God has given today because it's just one small part of the whole. God can be trusted with tomorrow. You know, I think the amount of time that it takes God to unfold this story, uh, it sometimes is a little bit disturbing to us because it's bigger than our lifetime. But again, I don't think that we have that great of a perspective on time. 
right? We're locked into this spinning planet, and it's 24 hours days. It's 24 hour days. We can't really fathom being outside of space and outside of time. What we can see is how God works in time and on time, and we see that best, I think, in Jesus. I'm going to borrow this from Philip Ryken. He writes this. As we witness the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we see a Savior who always knew what time it was. There was a time for him to be born, just at the right time, in fact. The Bible says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, at just the right time, when the Gentiles were tired of serving the old pagan gods, when the Jews were weary of trying and failing to keep God's law, when the Greeks had given the world a common language, when the Romans had established a relatively safe and easy travel across the Mediterranean, Jesus came with a message of salvation for the whole world. See, Jesus came right on time. He was born from the lineage of David, and in his resurrection, he was given all authority of heaven and earth, He is that king of kings, eternal. He's also our brother. He died to save us, to free us from sin and death, and to bring us into the family of God. And maybe I think this is just the biggest, like, lift up onto our Father's shoulders. Like, to be able to see what what he's up to and how beautiful it really is. Because we get to see that he has made a new covenant with us, his church in Jesus Christ. One that promises his return and his finishing the work of making all things new. And that we're all in it together with him as the Spirit lives, lives in us. And perhaps the most gripping, the most revealing, is that all the stuff that we may not like in the poem in Ecclesiastes 3, the stuff that's hard to see is beautiful. The killing, the mourning, the weeping, the dying, the breaking, the war, When we look at Jesus, we see that God did not leave all that for us alone. What he is up to was beautiful enough to suffer the hard things himself. From his shoulders, we actually see that he went through it all, that the poem in chapter 3 is really about him. God gave his son, Jesus, who endured the cross, trusting that his father would make all things beautiful in their time. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. Let's just jump back for a moment to the last part of Ecclesiastes 3. It's verses 16 through 22. The preacher continues. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust into dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work and that this is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? 
And I just want to zoom in for a moment on this one part. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man, what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. See, one bit of perspective that we get uh, from being sort of lifted up on God's shoulders to see from above the sun is that he's doing something that's bigger than us and much more beautiful than maybe we can imagine, given that he would even subject himself to such suffering to see it through. But another bit of perspective that the preacher in Ecclesiastes wants to help us see from up there is that from up above the sun, outside of time, outside of space, and from an eternal perspective sort of looking down, we're really small. We're really limited. I mean, we're obviously cherished and valued by God deeply and in ways that we really cannot comprehend. That's proven in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But still, we are really, really small and really limited. And maybe it sounds crude or offensive, offensive uh, to suggest that we are but beasts. But the point is that we really must see ourselves as we are. We are limited to our time. We are limited to our place. We are living here and we will die here. And in the grand schemes of, scheme of things, we're quite small. The Apostle Paul has this famous sermon at Areopagus or Mars Hill in Athens. And he's telling people who worship idols for all kinds of gods, but they know nothing about the one true God. He's telling them exactly who God is and what he's up to. This scene is found in, in Acts 17. And Paul says this in Acts 17, 26 through 27. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, that he is actually not far from each one of us. This says that God has set us in our appointed periods, in our time, and in our place. God has set you and I right where he wanted us. And he's done that as part of his bigger work of making all things beautiful in their time. But I love what Paul says. He says that he did this, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. I think that means that God knows you. That he knows you and loves you better than you know yourself, better than you can love yourself. And that he put you in your limited small life right here, like in this present time and in this present space, because this was the spot in the story where he knew that you could most easily find him, where he knew that the you that you are could open your eyes enough to find that he is with you. I think what we should see is that your life, my life, means the most it possibly could in the very time and place that God has put us in this grand story of his. There's so much here for you and I in this present time because this is where he put us. 
and seeing God and his work for as big as it truly is, and then to see ourselves for as limited as we truly are, that's a freeing thing to come to terms with because it frees us from playing God and it frees us to live within our created purpose, within our created time, within our created place. Contentment here and now leads to joy, the very most joy. Scripture says in chapter 3, verse 22, there is nothing better This is the most joy. There's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Knowing that life is good and lasting in the hands of God, not our own, allows us to enjoy what God has for us today. As we sort of get a peek at the reality of God and his eternal perspective, and also as we see our limited selves in the light of who he is. I'm, I'm reminded of this verse. We're going to come to it later in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, but it says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And this is how I just kind of want to invite us into a time of response this morning with a view of God in heaven as he is and us on earth as we truly are. Which leads to us coming to him in a bit of awe and, and reverence. Let your words be few, says the preacher in Ecclesiastes. I think that's good. I don't think we have to use a lot of words. The invitation to respond is simply this. If you're struggling to see what God sees, if you're struggling to be content and to experience joy in the present, struggling to give him control, maybe if you're just tired and exhausted from trying What if you just take a moment this morning to confess to him those areas you struggle to find beautiful, to name them and ask him to help you see, to put you on his shoulders and give you some needed perspective, some needed rest. The band's going to come and lead us through a time of response and worship. We're going to come and we're going to take communion together as we do each week. And as you do that, you can come down the middle aisle. You can take the bread. You can dip it in the wine or the juice, which represents the the body of Christ that was given for us, the blood of Christ that was given for us. When we come and when we take, we are remembering Jesus together. We are proclaiming Jesus as Savior together. So if you can come and do that, we invite you to come, whether you're a member of Redemption Church or not. If you're a Christian, if this is your confession, Come, remember Jesus, proclaim Jesus together with us. You can give your tithes and offerings in the back. You can do that online. We always want to make a a moment to respond to, to who God is as our provider and give it back to him in worship. But before you come, before you take... I just want to invite you to that moment of, of prayer, that moment of confession, that, more, that moment of, of naming this, the places where you struggle to be content and asking God to help you see and to give you some rest, some peace, so that you can experience his joy to the fullest. I'm going to pray for us. And as you feel done with your time of prayer, whether that's with your, by yourself or you grab a couple of people to pray with, you can come and take also. Our Father, 
We sang the song, God of Wonders. Beyond our galaxy. You are truly other than us. You yourself are, are much more than we can comprehend or fathom, imagine. You are be, beyond our time and space. And what you're doing and what all this is about is a bit beyond us. It's a lot beyond us, honestly. We are broken, fallen, sinful people. We've been that way since the fall. And for whatever reason, in our brokenness, we tend to try to play you. We tend to try to to be something that we can never be because it's not who we are created to be. And in so doing, not only are we sinning, not only are we hurting you and hurting one another, hurting the the creation that you made, we're missing out on joy. We're missing out on the very life that you created us for. We're, We're missing out because we can't be present, because we can't be content in who we are and where we are. So God, I'm just asking As we look to Jesus this morning, as we look to your scriptures in Ecclesiastes, that you would help us see that you can be trusted, that you've got it. So we're free to live at rest in who you are and what you're doing. We're free to give up the past, to give up the future, and to live today. Give us this day our daily bread. You are our daily bread. You are enough. May it be so. In Jesus' name.